Welcome to SL Advisors Talks Energy. I'm Simon Lack. At SL Advisors, we invest in energy infrastructure. We read about energy. We talk to people in the energy sector. We write about energy. We explore how the shale revolution is leading to American energy independence and how climate change is impacting how energy is produced and used. Nothing we say should be construed as a sale of securities, which can only be made through the relevant prospectus. In this week's podcast, I'm going to talk about pipeline company earnings and why valuations are really attractive. And then I'm going to close with some comments on the politics of climate change. Uh, It's an issue that I think uh, receives extremely one-sided coverage. The Democrats have a lot to say, very, very liberal policies from most of the presidential candidates. The Republicans have very little to say. And I think that uh, there's a huge gap in the middle there for a much more reasonable assessment of what's going on and suggestions. So pipeline earnings are good. Energy's been out of favor. Investors are fed up with company management teams plowing profits back into new projects and into new pipelines. And that's why the sector is only 5% of the S&P versus 12% almost 20 years ago. Too much investing in new projects, not enough cash coming back to investors. And on top of that, the recent Democratic primary uh, debates for presidential uh, race next year show some very extreme views on climate change and fossil fuel use, which is sort of overhanging, I think, the sector to some degree. But there's some great news, which is cash flows are growing. Dividend yields on the top 10 uh, infrastructure companies that we follow are 6.4% on average, and they're going to go up by 10% next year. Distributable cash flow which is the cash generated by existing assets, is is just under 11%. We think that's going to go to just under 12% next year. So dividends are very well covered by cash flow generation. Cash flows are growing for the sector. Uh, We've had some big companies report earnings in the past week. Enterprise products increased EBITDA by 18%. It's a huge company, $66 billion market cap company. Um, They continue to execute very well. Williams companies, very big natural gas uh, pipeline company, their stock's been weak because natural gas prices have been weak. But just to confirm that uh, commodity prices have very little impact on operating results. Williams had a good quarter. The stock had got a nice pop after that. One Oak, uh, Crestwood and TC Pipelines, formerly TransCanada, all had good quarters as well. So we expect free cash flow which is not a metric that pipeline companies have historically used, but is is broadly used uh, across most sectors of the equity market. Free cash flow was a billion dollars last year. We expect it to reach seven to eight billion dollars this year for our index. That's the American Energy Independence Index. And we looked at all the companies, all the underlying components of the index and and basically did this bottom up analysis. So a billion dollars last year on a sector of about five hundred forty billion dollars in market cap is really pretty inconsequential. Seven to eight billion this year, that's obviously a great jump. Mid-20s next year, we think mid-40s the year after that. And a a really extraordinary leap in free cash flow. And that's the positive story. That's what should really induce investors, uh, generalist investors, who are not traditional holders of midstream infrastructure, to return to the sector and commit capital. Balance sheets are strong. When we look at the top 10 companies in the sector, which includes names like Enterprise Products, uh, Williams, but also uh, Enbridge, for example, One Oak Plains All American. They're all investment grade. Balance sheets have been getting stronger. You've got around four times debt to EBITDA across the sector. 
And what's also, I think, really interesting is dividend yields are more than two times what the bond yields are on these same companies. Now, bond investors are generally thought to do more detailed analysis. Uh, they want to get their money back. And so they look carefully at balance sheets and cash flow generation capability. And clearly, bond investors, many of whom have proprietary access either because they're banks or because they're relying on credit analysis done by rating agencies who, who get access to proprietary information. Clearly, bond investors uh, see very little to be concerned about in terms of the ability of midstream energy infrastructure companies to continue making uh, payments on, uh, on the bonds and the debt they've issued. So what you have in summary is the industry has growing free cash flow, a better credit profile than, than certainly in recent years, and lots of interest from private equity buyers, uh, where there's hundreds of billions of dollars sitting in private equity infrastructure funds looking at some of these publicly listed companies and seeing that the assets are priced more attractively than what they can find in the private markets. So I now want to talk to turn to energy politics, climate change. And a couple of things caught my eye recently. Um, Google are having their annual camp in, in southern Italy, uh, near Sicily this week. And a lot of the rich and famous, the good and the great are attending from the media industry, people like Barry Diller, David Geffen, Katy Perry, Tom Cruise, and of course, Leonardo DiCaprio. Many people will be arriving by private jet. I saw one estimate of 114 private jets flying in for this. And so I certainly hope that when the conference has concluded that none of these people will have any uh, sanctimonious comments for the rest of us on climate change and how we can get by with less fossil fuels, given uh, how all of them are arriving there on private planes producing enormous amounts of CO2 emissions in the process of talking about how the rest of the world can use less energy than they do. The other thing that caught my mind this week, caught my eye, was the Democratic presidential debate. Most but not all of the candidates endorsed the Green New Deal. We wrote about the bovine green dream a few months ago the Green New Deal is uh, hopelessly impractical. There's just no way that it's politically or financially feasible to do most of the things that they include. And, and even beyond energy, there's a lot of very liberal economic uh, policies included in there as well. And it's a shame to see so many presidential candidates uh, signing up for that. And yet, the problem is that climate change is real. And there's better solutions than the most extreme ones. And there's a few things that anybody who's serious about combating climate change should be supporting. One of them is much greater use of nuclear power. Nuclear has the best record of any form of energy in terms of megawatt hours of power produced versus deaths from its production. And you just compare France, where their electricity is overwhelmingly produced by nuclear with Germany, where they've pushed heavily into renewables. And in fact, France has a much better track record on emissions than Germany. Even though Germany uh, sets out to be a champion of renewables, you need a lot of coal in Germany to support that because it's not always sunny and windy and they don't have the battery technology to uh, store all of that renewable energy when they do produce it. And so uh, Germany is sort of the poster child for, for how not to do this. And I think France uh, has, has certainly shown that nuclear can be used in a very safe way 
to produce very clean electricity. So we should be using a lot more nuclear. Uh, right now, it's extremely hard to build a nuclear facility in the United States because there's so much uh, public fear of the danger of nuclear. It means that the uh, the whole construction process has an uncertain time frame, makes it much more risky. And it's really not happening without the government getting involved in a way to ensure that nuclear facilities are built safely and that there's predictable outcomes for the capital that's invested to support that. Another thing we should be doing is using even more natural gas and phasing out coal. And America has had a fantastic success story uh, in reducing emissions, not because of more renewables. Renewables are actually growing at a pretty slow rate in America. Uh, as, as we commented recently and as, as on a, a blog that we wrote about how natural gas is the real energy story, natural gas increased its market share of power generation in America by five times as much as renewables. And natural gas is the reason that we've been reducing our CO2 emissions and other greenhouse gas, greenhouse gas emissions, as well as producing less pollution in the United States. Natural gas has to be part of any serious solution to deal with climate change. And I think another thing we should be doing, the government should be uh, investing heavily in research and development R&D on how to use fossil fuels more cleanly. 85% of the world's energy comes from fossil fuels. Uh, that's what works. We use fossil fuels because they're efficient. And we should really be dedicating a lot more uh, research dollars on how to use them cleaner through issues like carbon capture and other techniques like that, and not emphasizing so much on solar and wind, which really don't have any practical possibility of, of producing steel, uh, of plastics, of fertilizer, of powering airplanes, uh, of doing a lot of the things that we use energy uh, to do today. And it requires greater honesty. And, and the fact is that we use fossil fuels today because they're cheap. And uh, it often strikes me that you'll see renewables advocates saying, hey, renewables are, are really competitive and much cheaper than natural gas for electricity today. And yet, if that's the case, how come we're not just using renewables exclusively and, and they're gaining market share from natural gas? And it's because the numbers are not true. Uh, the market would be shifting much more rapidly to renewables if it, made, uh, if it was just a case of economics. And it's not, which means that it's going to cost more money. We're, we're looking at more expensive energy the more we shift to renewables. Clearly, that's the case. Otherwise, we'd be using more of them. And I think that uh, dealing with climate change is going to cost money. And that's a huge challenge because there was a recent survey that showed that uh, although Americans claim to care about climate change, a majority would not spend more than $10 a month on higher energy uh, in order to fight climate change. And remember, America's only 15% of global emissions anyway. So whatever we do in America, we're a small part of the issue. China burns half of the world's coal. Nothing is going to get solved on this issue without engagement with China and India. Uh, Andrew Yang, one of the presidential candidates, said that, hey, with all of these um, proposals, the solution is clearly to find higher ground uh, for when sea levels rise. and and I don't think that that's going to be the solution, but that is going to be what we're doing unless we get some more serious debate about how to realistically deal with climate change, recognizing the economic 
technological and political realities of where we are today. Thank you for listening to SL Advisors Talks Energy. To find more episodes like this one, go to our website, sl-advisors.com. There you can sign up for our blog, watch videos and webinars. Follow us on iTunes and Spotify and follow us on Twitter at Simon Lack.